Hear the word of God from a selection of passages from three New Testament letters about being the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And now Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. How are y'all doing this morning? Thank you. I appreciate that, Stanley. Uh, My name is Eric Weiner. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Waypoint Church. It's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, Just a a few housekeeping things I want to start out with. Uh, One is that I have a handout. So uh, if if you've been around Waypoint a while, usually it's Pastor Danny that has the handouts. I have one for you. So if you don't have one, uh, I'd love for you to, to get that, Pastor Danny. Uh, and Belinda can, can hand some of those out to you. Um, that will be for later, so you can kind of tuck that away. But uh, also, I know that we read three passages. I think you see some of the same themes and, and ideas in those passages. I got really excited about about three verses. So I'm going to really focus in on, on some of those. But um, 
Over the past few weeks, we, we've been in a series talking about the local church, and, um, and, and we've asked, you know, what is the local church? Why, why does the local church matter? What's it about? We've looked at the, the centrality of worship and how the, the church, the body of Christ, is, is the, the, the place, the people are the place where the presence of God dwells, the new tabernacle. And then we've also looked at the beauty. Last week, Pastor Lawrence talked about the beauty that we live in in the tension and you have to, to, to strike, you have to find this, this beautiful balance and the tension. And, and uh, Pastor Danny is even alluding to that uh, in, his, in his prayer time. And it's been a very challenging and convicting series. And I, I would encourage you, I would recommend going back and, and listening to, to any of the, the past three weeks of, of sermons, just talking about what is the local church and why, why do we do this? Why does this body, this congregation, and congregations all throughout the world, why does this matter? Why do we do things the way that we do? And What's the reason for it? And so this week, as, as we bring our series to a close, I, I want us to consider how the church lives out its relational beauty in gospel community. We're talking about gospel community. And so I just don't have enough time this morning, so I'm just going to dive right in. One of our core values at, at Waypoint Church, one of the things that we, we have even on our website, is this idea of gospel community. We, we say we want to be a preview of coming attractions, which necessarily means that the church is called to be a visible community displaying God's reconciling work. In fact, I would argue that, that Paul is suggesting that we have a responsibility before God to one another, to live in unity. So at Waypoint, we, we say this. This is, this is on our website. We say, we desire to live in intentionally and in, in diverse community, encouraging one another towards the purpose God has for us, we believe we are all sojourners and aliens in this world. This is all of us. But the gospel brings forth true belonging in a land that is not our own. Our union in Christ Jesus is greater than any other bond that might unite us or any other barrier that might divide us. We believe this kind of community powerfully displays the unifying work of the gospel. Okay, so that's, that's gospel community in doctrine form. If you're trying to write that, it's on our website. You can go check it out. This is the language we have to describe the kind of community that we believe we are. But does our life together at Waypoint match this reality? Does the way that we live together embody that? Every organization, every household, every social club, every school, every church has some set purpose and values that drive them, that unite them, that, that rally them, that give them purpose, that, that, that spurs them on to do the things that they feel called to do and be. But what kind of community do these groups create? How do people relate to one another in, in these spaces? And this, this says just as much about the community as its purpose statement. And the reason why this matters is because a church can effectively affirm the gospel by its teaching, but deny the gospel by its expression. People who are cold and aloof toward one another, even if they believe the same, thing, same things, fail to walk in gospel reality secured through their common union in Christ. 
In contrast, Pastor Ray Ortland says that a gracious church proves that Jesus is the Holy One who forgives sinners, the King who befriends his enemies, the genius who counsels failures. In other words, the way we relate to one another should be marked by the same manner in which Christ relates to us, the way Christ has related to you. If Jesus has forgiven you, then I will make every effort to forgive you too. If Jesus has made you a friend, then we have become friends with one another. If God offers you counsel, then may I be a part of the comfort and encouragement that he offers you. So this morning, we, we're concerned with what it means to be gospel community. But before we get to the practice of gospel community, let us consider the why of our community, the why of gospel community. And the why of the community is the gospel itself. This is the basis. This is the foundation. This is the reason. Because we belong to Christ, we belong to one another. Because we belong to Christ, we belong to one another. Paul's thesis statement for Christian community is that we ought to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. That's what Ephesians 4.1 says. Which means that the good news of new life in Jesus isn't merely passive acceptance of a marvelous gift. It's the entry point into a transformed life. We live this out. We embody it. We do it together among one another out to the world, the nations. So before we can even consider gospel community, we must first make sure that the very entry point into this community is crystal clear to us. The entry point is crystal clear. Why, why do we gather? How, how are we welcomed in? What's our basis for being here? Previously, previously Paul, Paul says earlier in Ephesians that we lived in a manner unworthy of the gospel as ones who followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's what Ephesians 2 says. So in other words, we, we rejected God. We wanted nothing to do with God. And therefore, we wanted nothing to do with each other. For any of you Lord of the Rings fans out there, that we, we lived in a way of, of orc culture, right? Um, but we've been washed clean. We've been given a new purpose. We've been called to a new community, a community of Rivendell, where the elven people live. You can see the, can you see the contrast here? In case you're wondering which one's the orcs, they're, they're the, uh, the ones on the, on the left, right? Rivendell's the beautiful place. Um, this is what we've been called into. This, this, this huge transformation, this radical change that's happening. Can you imagine those orcs in Riffendale? Every one of us has a common entry point into the church community. Every one of us. All of us have experienced the great love of God through the saving work of Jesus. And he's called us to surrender our lives and to give our total allegiance to him. So when we gather together, we're gathering as ones who have given our allegiance to Christ. This is what sound doctrine teaches us. This is what we know. This is what we believe. This is what we profess. This is what we confess together. In other words, if I have been made alive in Christ and you have been made alive in Christ and there's one body, then we are united together. We belong to one another. So when we live in a way that denies our fellowship, 
when we live in a way that denies our fellowship with one another, we are actually confessing that Christ's work had no real effect. So we can say that we believe it with our words, but we deny our words with our actions. In a sense, we are actually working to undo the work of Christ. And this is profoundly informative for us. This, this means as a body of believers, we, we don't sit around wondering, why in the world would that person be here? Right? What business could God possibly have with them? I can't believe it. No. The church is not a meritocracy. The world of sports, th th that's a meritocracy. I mean, you, in, in sports, you're willing to put up with anyone so long as they, they help you win. It's performance-driven. It doesn't matter. If the, if, if the bottom line, if we're winning, then, then I'm fine with them. I don't care what they do. I mean, just look at Dennis Rodman, right? Have you ever been in a place where based on merit, you felt like you didn't belong? At my college orientation, they asked this, this conference room full of incoming freshmen what they had done that summer. So that's a harmless question, right? I mean, it kind of, kind of, you know, what'd you do? That's that's a great, great opening question. I'll tell you what I did that summer. I worked in, on an assembly line at a battery factory in North Carolina. That's what I did. Someone else stood up and shared that they had served as a teen ambassador in a nation that I'd never even heard of. Talk about feeling like you didn't belong. <laughs> the church is not a meritocracy. We all have the same basis for our welcome into the church. God has rescued us. And God can rescue anyone, and he does. That's why we're together. So we ought to delight in the fact that Jesus is gaining traction in any of our lives, looking to affirm evidence of the kind of spiritual fruit only the Lord can produce. And we do this knowing that only by the grace of God have I been called by a new name. And then I turn and look at you and I say, look, he's done the same thing in you. He's doing the same thing in you. The Christian life is not only learning to accept that the work that Christ has done for me, but it's also to give you the encouragement to believe the things that he's working out and becoming true of you. This is how we begin to experience the freedom and the joy of the gospel. We live as ones who really believe that God has changed us and that that change is still being worked out in us. In the back of our minds, there should be some acceptance of the fact that there are areas of our lives, aspects of our character that have not been completely conformed to the image of Christ. I mean, who, who would argue with that? That means that we still have work to do, that the Lord's not done with us. Each one of us continues to deal with sin. And sin is evil. Sin is painful. It's enslaving. It's destructive. I hate what sin does to us. So who doesn't need to be reminded that those chains are broken? God has set you free in Christ. Therefore, therefore, out of reference to Christ... I ought to treat you as such. If God is not done with you, then neither should I. This is the kind of attitude that gospel community creates in us. Listen, Jesus didn't give us the ministry of nice. Jesus didn't die and rise again just, just so that we'd be nice to one another, so that we, we'd be cordial with each other. 
Jesus suffered at our expense to both show and secure for us a way to truly live in the measure of his glory. To treat one another as anything less is to deny the reality of the gospel at work in them. So you see, the gospel is essential to our community because our in-Christness is our very identity. If we are not in Christ, then what do we even have to talk about? The weather? Sports? Our jobs? But if we are in Christ, we have everything to fight for. And our starting point with one another is not as the enemies that we once were, but as the brothers and sisters, the adopted brothers and sisters we are now in Christ. We must never take our eyes off that identity as we relate to one another in the church. We must never forget who we are. Not just you, but the others around you. If you have reached a point in your Christian walk where you feel like you need God less and you need his people less, you haven't grown. You've regressed. You tell a gospel of self-sufficiency rather than in Christ alone. Because we belong to Christ, we belong to each other. And to love like Christ is to begin living right now as we will forever, in eternity, in love with one another, in, the, in, the, in Christ. So then, how, how should we live together as gospel community? We, we want to receive more of Christ, not less, so that we can extend more grace to one another, not less. So here's our second point. Because we belong to Christ, we should follow the example of Christ. Because we belong to him, we should follow his example. We should imitate him. We should be the body. We should live being who God has called us to be, to live worthy of the manner in which we've been called to, to live. In Ephesians 4, 1, Paul calls us to live in a manner worthy of our calling. And so we establish the basis for that calling through the new life secured for us by our union in Christ. And in verses 2 and 3, Paul instructs us, instructs us on what pursuing that calling looks like. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Okay, so we just acknowledge that for, for each one of us, change is our future. God has rescued us, but he's not done with us yet. We still need to grow up in Christ. And so, that creates a tension for us. How do we live in the tension of what we currently are while waiting to become what we will be? Paul tells us, by putting on humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, all in love. That's our way forward. Now, Paul does not call for unity at all cost, okay? He's, he's not saying, don't, don't rock the boat lest you mess up a good thing here. Now, we know that, that sometimes it may even be necessary for someone to be removed from the body as a way of maintaining unity and praying for restoration. We hope and pray for restoration in those situations. The goal isn't to make the church a safe place for sin to live. That's not what we're talking about. We know that there is sin in our members, right? You know this about yourself. You can, you've probably experienced this with other, other people. You know this. But rather, we want to make the church a safe place for people to truly encounter the gospel in our midst. For genuine confession and repentance to happen. For real forgiveness and reconciliation to happen. For genuine love and honor to happen. 
We don't want people to avoid the church until they get their lives together. No. Are you kidding? We want to invite people to receive the gracious love of God through the felt care and forgiveness of the saints. Our aim is for our actions and motives to be bent in such a way that we are willing to do the hard things in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, because this is how Christ has dealt with us. And how Christ deals with us, we want to deal with each other. God has made it possible for us to truly love one another. And we can now pursue these things as is pleasing to the Lord. And if we really are dealing with ongoing sin, then what is pleasing to the Lord won't always feel pleasing to us. Right? So consider with me Paul's instruction for how we can bear witness to the beauty of Christ and so pursue the kind of relational beauty that we're called to. Paul's language assumes that there will be conflict because there is still sin to uproot. And the only way to do that is to practice the gracious work of humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, all being worked out in love. And so the call, the call to humility, what is humility? The call to humility would have actually been seen in Paul's day as a sign of weakness. To be humble is, is, is to be subservient. The humble person is one who, who takes the place of a servant, seeking to please the ones around them, not insisting on their own way. That's the humble one. And this, even today, even though we think humility is a, is, is a virtuous thing, this is still so contrary to us every step of the way. I mean, who, when given the option between being the company CEO or the entry-level desk clerk, chooses the entry-level position? Who chooses the way of the servant, right? Who becomes a social media influencer only to devote their influence by giving it away to other people? I mean, just go look on the internet and you'll find plenty of people who, who say to themselves, you know what? I have things to say. I think people should listen to me. We all do it. We all think it. Some people are just better at it. I mean, that's why they're the influencers. Every day we make choices, even if subtle, even if subtle, to feed our own sense of big dealness. But the humble person works to put their big dealness to death. As a Christian, when you, when you come to reflect on the fact that we were all once dead in sin and rescued only by the work of God, you begin to realize that you can no longer speak from a place of entitlement. Even when you find yourself in a position that would otherwise feed your big dealness, it's not the, the position that's the problem. It's the craving of simple people that's, that's craving it. That's, that's the problem. Humility is the freedom of gratitude in Christ that swallows up all other titles. C.S. Lewis, he captures this biblical idea of humility so well in his, his uh, little book, The, the Screwtape Letters, this, this fictional book that he wrote. The, the Screwtape Letters are written from a vantage point of, of a senior demon writing to his nephew on how to tempt people into sin and away from God. Okay? So he's writing these, these series of letters trying to train, trying to teach his nephew. Here's, here's how you're going to draw that. Here's how you lure them in to, to, to push them farther away from God and farther away from people. And in one of the letters, Screwtape writes to his, his nephew. He says this, the, the, the enemy, which is God, wants him, the, the person in the end, to be so free from any bias in his own favor that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents. He wants each man in the long run to be able to recognize all creatures, even himself as glorious and excellent things. 
Let me go to the next slide. It is his long-term policy, I fear, to restore to them a new kind of self-love, a charity and gratitude for all selves, including their own. When they have really learned to love their neighbors as themselves, they will be allowed to love themselves as their neighbors. And so you see, even in this definition, even, even what uh, Screwtape is, is fearful of, he's fearful of the advance of humility in the lives of God's people because he knows what it will do to them. He knows how it could unite them, and he doesn't want that. So he says, you have to, you have to thwart this. They'll be free to, to be grateful for the talents that they've received. They won't think even, they won't even have to think that they have to think of themselves badly. They'll rejoice in the things that God has given them in the way that they can bless other people through it. Humility. God calls us to humility. Paul calls us to humility as a way of lowering ourselves, of being seeking the, the good of others, the way of the servant recognizing all along that we, we are like this because Christ is like this. This is how Christ acted for us, toward us. The call to gentleness, gentleness or meekness, if you will, can also be seen as, as weakness. So humility, gentleness, seen as weakness. Even the word here, gentle, in the text, it, it means to be meek. It's this idea of, of being meek. And, and to be honest, we, we've, really, we've really lost this idea of meek altogether. Can, can we bring back meek? Because I feel like we've lost something really important without, without it. Because meek and gentle, it's, it's not quite the same. Be, listen, Jesus was not weak when he washed Judas' Judas's feet before his betrayal. Jesus was not weak when he asked for the Father's will to be done at Gethsemane. Jesus was not weak when he submitted himself to the cross for the penalty of our sins. Jesus was not weak when he prayed for the very ones who crucified him. He was meek. You see, Jesus, he's, he's not the picture of underwhelming weakness, nor is he the picture of this uncontrolled strength, this threat of uncontrolled strength. He's gentle. He's meek. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that the meek will inherit the earth because they are strong enough to endure. They look in the face of undesirable circumstances. They lament the things that are happening. They lament the way things are, and they persevere. That's not weakness. It's being meek. They look at the way things are. They, they lament how they are, and yet they trust God. And they are resolved to trust God knowing that he's bringing forth a new day. As we relate to one another in the body, we are not resigned to say nothing. Neither are we resolved to lay down the crushing hand of condemnation against one another. But in meekness, we endure with one another, bearing one another's burdens, even willing to forfeit our rights for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Yeah, maybe we don't like that. Maybe we should wait. Meek, that's not, maybe, I don't know. There's so much more that, that I want to say here. I just, I wish I had more time. I just, again, I said just three verses, right? So, so I want to let uh, Wendy Alsop summarize for me. Wendy Alsop, she, she wrote this book that I've been deeply convicted and helped by called By His Wounds You Are Healed, How the Message of Ephesians Transforms a Woman's Identity. And in her section 
on, on bearing with one another. She, she talks about this attitude of, of bearing one another that she says sums up the rest, sums up all these things that we, even the things we've been talking about of humility, of gentleness, of, of forbearance, of patience. She says, during my years in Christianity, I have seen the opposite of this character probably more than any other. Believers give up on each other, write each other off, stop calling or emailing and just walk away. Many times I have been the one who copped out, who stopped calling or caring or pursuing because the person in question got too complicated. What exactly does this phrase mean, bearing with one another? And what does it look like practically? Now the language here, it implies turbulence and difficulty. To bear with one another means that we endure alongside them. We, we overcome hardships together. Even when they are the cause for the hardship. And we don't do so irritably. We don't resent them. But the text says we do it in love. We bear with one another in, in love. Also goes on to say, I have noticed that I want grace to be circular. But that is not the nature of grace and biblical love. If I'm waiting on someone to show me grace before I show it to them, or if I only show someone else grace expecting them to respond in kind, then I have missed the entire point. The point of forbearing love is that the other person did not extend grace and love to me. If they had, I would not be showing them tolerance. I would would just be responding in kind. Forbearing love begins with me. I must be the first person to show it in the midst of ungracious responses towards me. Why on earth do we treat people this way? Why would we live this way? Remember, remember that our starting point is the gospel itself. We don't deal with people in the way they deserve. That's what the unbelievers do but we deal with people how God has treated us in Christ in the newness of life that we have received. We're called to walk in. This is how we walk in a manner worthy of our calling and so begin to cultivate the kind of relational beauty that has been established in the body of Christ. Finally, let's get practical here. How how do we pursue gospel community at Waypoint? How to do this at Waypoint? I think, I think a lot of this is, is very practical, but very, very hard. And I'm, I admit that I, this is really hard. But what does this look like at Waypoint? We, and here's, here's my answer to this, my, my one-sentence answer. We want another together. Right? We want another together. And it, this is the time, this is, I know you've been waiting on, on hands and feet. This is the time to pull out that handout that I mentioned before. So if you have that, you, I, I want to invite you to, to look at the handout. Skip, don't, don't focus on the, the first paragraph. Just, I want you to look at that list. And, and just as, as you're doing that, I don't, I don't want you to start with all the objections that you might have. Nor do I want you to look and see, okay, I, I don't want this to create guilt in you of all the things that you feel like you're not even doing. That's not what this is for. I want, I want you to consider, as you read this list, as you just glance down at it, what would it be like if someone treated you like this? What would it be like if someone treated you like this? For someone to love you, to be devoted to you, to care for you, to consider you better than themselves, to encourage you, to confess their faults to you, 
Now, this is not a list of good suggestions found in the New Testament. These are biblical commands. And our community isn't meant to embody just a few of them. We're called to all of them. Notice how these these commands are, are for the mutual benefit and building up of the body. If I'm honest, I find that the things that says don't, don't treat people that way, that's how I usually act. And treat people this way, that's what I don't do. But to, to actually put these into practice, to embody, to live this out, to live like this is to be like Christ to one another. We are called to be like Christ to one another. What does this list tell you about your role in community? Which of these commands do you find challenging to apply? Which of them are you not even sure what they mean? We all need safe spaces where we can hear the gospel and pursue change. Where we can be known and loved and called to live in a worthy manner that honors Christ. We don't need to be in a hurry to see change happen. We don't need to be in a hurry to see other change happen in others because people take a long time to change. That's where the patience comes in. We need people in our lives who are committed to us, who don't give up on us. God has called the church, the body, to be that for one another, as is honoring to the Lord, as is imaging Christ. People are messy and stubborn. Sin is destructive and painful, but the gospel is beautiful and victorious. And we're called to walk in it. Next week, we, we have community group signups. And, and I know that it, it won't be perfect. I know that at times, even now, these groups are not perfect spaces where these one another's happen. Some of, them are, some of them do happen. I'm not saying that they don't happen. I'm just saying. I know that at times they, they may feel awkward because new relationships can feel awkward. They may feel inconvenient can be too busy, and for good reason. That could really be the case. You could even be fighting this sense of, ah, do I really want to go tonight? I feel like that's common. But gospel community is something that's already been given to us. This isn't something that we're trying to aspire to. It's something that is our reality right now, that God has established it for us. We walk in gospel community right now. So what does our community say to the world? to each other. Is the gospel true? My hope is that through these groups, people can really know and enjoy one another. That people can practice honesty and be encouraged in light of the gospel. That people can ask their real questions and be invited to search out God's word and faith together. And that people can use their diverse gifts to serve and build up the body. But it truly takes commitment. It takes perseverance. It takes humility. It takes one anothering. 
have a story for us and, and, and then we'll close. Um, before my senior year of high school, I worked at a, a KOA campgrounds, Campgrounds of America campground in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And it was, it was a great foretaste for me of what life outside of my parents' home would be like. And honestly, it was great. Um, it, it was, that, that summer really changed my life. We had, we had this staff of about 17 or 18 just summer staff, mostly college students with a few uh, rising seniors mixed in there. And, and throughout the summer, we'd, we'd help the seasonal staff doing different jobs around the campground. So things like housekeeping and, and park maintenance and trash duty, which I was on and I hated it. But our main goal was to put on community events so that we could build relationships and share Christ with these families who are on vacation. And so we'd hang out as, a, as outside of that space. Um, so, so that was our unified mission. So we, that, that was the reason why all of these students were here, all these students were there. Uh, we were trying to minister to these families. We want to put on these events, build relationships, share Christ. That's our unified goal. That's what brought us together. But, but what about the community? What was, the, what was the, that group of 17 to 18, 17 to 21-year-olds like? On paper, you, you, you might say, that, can it work? Different maturity levels, different life experiences, different stages of, of life. And so to, to try to build community, we, we'd hang out on the porch of love, that we called it. We'd have Bible studies, and, and we'd go on these group outings. We were serving together, studying together, outing together, bonding us together. And to an extent, that, that worked. That was good. That was, it, it, we, we were connecting. But then in the midst of that summer, one of our team leaders started getting the guys together to do something that we called fight night. Okay? Fight night. And the only rule of fight night is that you don't talk about fight night. Which, of course, it led to some playful banter between the, the men and the women on our, in our team. They're like, what are you guys doing? Why are you leaving at, so late at night? Like, we're like, we can't talk about it. Sorry. But what I want to do this morning is, if, if you're okay with this, I, I want to break that rule. I want to tell you what we did. Is, are we okay with that? Yeah, okay. Um, so what we would do is, late at night, the guys would walk down the road from our bungalow up to this, this loft of, of this A-frame building. And we go into this room, wouldn't even turn the lights on. Go into this room, pitch black, at night. Then we'd choose one of the girls specifically on our team. And we would choose a girl, and then every single one of us would get down on our knees, and we would plead to the Lord for her in prayer. We would fight for her. Whatever doubts and struggles we need to pray for, Whatever encouragement we thought we could ask to give, whatever need we could ask to be supplied, we'd fight for her. No other agenda. That was it. That was our purpose. Each night, once a week, dedicated to one specific person, we would fight for them. We would pray for them. Down on our knees, all of us. What a tremendous grace it is that I grew in my faith by seeking the benefit of others. It was so dignifying. It was so encouraging. So gratifying. I believe we honored the Lord and served our sisters. I believe that we, we grew as brothers by doing that. We put on Christ together. Church, my challenge for us 
is to put on Christ and so live as gospel community. It's what the world needs. It's what we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you for the work that you have done through your son Jesus that unites us together as one. God, you have made us one, not by our choosing, but in Christ, through, through the gospel, through the finished work of the cross, you are making all things new. God, you are bringing us together as one. God, I pray that you would continue to, to prick our hearts, to convict us, to grow us up in this. God, you're not done with us. We thank you for the grace that you extend to us, that you're patient with us, that you're, you even respond in humility toward us. God, may we learn to be more like you. God, may we continue to look at each other as you look at us and to treat one another as you treat us. And may we so love one another, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we'll join with our Christian sisters and brothers throughout the world in participating in the Lord's Supper uh, or communion. This is a time when followers of Jesus come together and reflect and remember the death and the suffering of Jesus Christ and the new covenant we have in him. So this is for followers of Christ. If you don't know Christ, you've never followed Jesus or made that profession or really understood what that's about, you can come talk to me or Pastor Eric or really the person next to you after the service, and we'd love to share with you what that means. But for us who follow Christ, we're going to come together and, and take this meal. Um, this morning, in our prayer time, we did two things. We confessed our sin to God and accepted his forgiveness, and we ex asked God to examine our hearts and to see, are we truly loving one another? And I know the sermon probably gave you a whole nother round of things to process. So I want to give us another second just to reflect before we take it and, and just, just ask God to continue to do a work in your heart as we remember and reflect on his death and his, the new life we have in him. for the new life we have in you. Now let's remember this new covenant that Jesus has made with us, that we're forgiven people. We're born again. We're new creations. We're people with a new hope and a future. We're people of the kingdom of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And to be honest, guys, I hate these things. We, before COVID, we used to come up here and, you know, we would do, you'd come up and it was a lot more, you could come to the altar and pray. So being that we don't have that, you still take, please take the wafer. If you're gluten-free, uh, and you need to come up. I set up a station over here. Those crackers are gluten-free and there's some juice over there. So uh, if, if you need that, please 
it's it's right there under the speaker you can you can come up and grab that so let's take this together this is the body of Christ that was broken for you the same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you drink eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes let's take it this is the blood of Christ which was shed for you Father, we praise you and thank you for your grace that we received because you came and you died and you rose again. And on the cross, it was finished. And we've been raised to new life with you and the, the, the veil, the curtain has been torn in two and your spirit dwells in us and we get to be the new creation. But God, like they were dealing with 1900 years ago in the church in Corinth we still deal with it now we we were broken sinful people trying to just love one another live out the calling you have for us show us how to be that for each other and when we fall short may we pick each other up and may we encourage each other may this list we put it on our fridge or we put it on our desk or wherever it may be a consistent reminder of what you've given us in you and we just praise you God that we get to come and celebrate this meal brothers and sisters united not in our interests not in our personalities not in anything but we're united in Christ God we give you all the praise and all the glory and we long for the day when you will come back and make all things right but until they, that day comes God allow us to be your people allow us to truly love one another. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name.